everybody. Hi, this is Father Larry. You are, I am in uh, Ferdinand, Indiana, uh, doing a parish mission here. So um, we're doing it without all the uh, extra stuff here. So make sure everybody can hear me, please. If you can hear me, say something in the chat so I know that you are here. Um, I don't even see anybody there, but I already have likes. So there you go. Good job. Now we're seeing people. Now we got to see something here. Okay. Let me just check here and see if we're on yet. Videos, videos. Live. Okay, here we go. I'm sorry. Okay. When I got to do all this myself, you know, it's a little bit harder. But anyway, God is good. So welcome. Uh, this is February the 16th. Anchored in Hope. Today we're going to be focused on the Eucharist. And then we'll be taking questions after. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of love and mercy, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and dying for us and giving us himself in the Eucharist. Help us to live for him all the days of our life, Father. Live for you and to do your will through the power of the Holy Spirit. We beg you these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And then, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So... Anyway, we are here, like I said, at the Christ the King Parish in Ferdinand, Indiana. Uh, today's the last night. Our mission runs from 6.30 to uh, 8.30 tonight. Uh, again, encourage you, those of you who are in the area, to come. Tonight we do adoration and healing, so we will uh, anoint people with St. Joseph's oil, and we'll bring out Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. And we've had people from all over coming here. Last night was fantastic. Full church did the Passion Talk. 14 priests uh, uh, came and heard confessions, which was fantastic. And they went a long time. Along, There was over 100 high school kids here, so it was just fantastic. So the priests are here, the very fantastic people. And it's been a good time, but I can't wait to get home tomorrow. So tonight I go and get a hotel uh, outside of Louisville because there's a farmer's convention going on there and hotels are very expensive. So I'm going to be about 25 miles out. And then uh, I fly out tomorrow morning. I have Louisville Airport and then I go to Detroit. And then from Detroit, I go to Pittsburgh. Uh, my stepfather is in a nursing home. So I'm going to stop and see him and then head back up to Erie. So I ask you to pray for me and uh, pray for great miracles tonight for all the people that are here. So today, like every week, what we've been doing is we're in the middle of the sacraments now. And um, I've been talking about the spirituality of the sacraments. The first week we talked about the spirituality of baptism. Uh, then the second week we talked about the spirituality of penance. And then last week we talked about the spirituality of confirmation. So today, what we're going to do is focus on the Eucharist. Now, we could have done this last week, but I'm not doing them in any particular order. Um, but I uh, I want to, of course, do the Eucharist. And again, 
What is a sacrament? A sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ that gives grace. So here when we say, well, where the outward sign is the bread and wine. That's a pretty simple one, huh? And for the, where is it at in the Bible? We are going to go to um, <coughs> uh, Luke chapter 22. And here, you know, it's just the, uh, he says in chapter 22, verse 17, then take any cup, read offer a blessing and said, take this and divide it among you. I tell you, I will not drink it from the fruit of the vine until the coming of the reign of God. And taking bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in verse 19 of uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Christ explicitly tells us to do this in memory of me. So you can't get anything more explicit uh, where we say it's instituted by Christ. And what is the grace that it gives? It gives us the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Huh? Again, I don't know if most people even buy it, even Catholics anymore. But we believe that the bread and wine, when the priest places his hands over, you know, at the middle of mass during consecration, the priest is in persona Christi. That's why he doesn't, I don't say like at mass, I don't, and I said my mass early this morning privately here, I don't sit there and say, this is his body. In the middle of mass, I say, this is my body. This is my blood given for you. Because at that moment, it's Christ himself who is present there. And again, we have to go and always remember what's happening. We're not re-killing Jesus. Often our Protestant brothers and sisters tell us it was a once and for all sacrifice. And that is 100% correct. We don't re-kill Jesus. We actually go there. I mean, again, God's in an eternal now. And if you really reflect on what happens, you know, you could sit there and say, well, how could Jesus give his true body and blood at the Last Supper when he had not yet died? So did the apostles truly receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? And the answer is yes. Well, how is that, Father? Well, the way it is is because God's in an eternal now. And so what that means is the world is being created now before God. The world is ending now before God. Uh, you're being born now before God. You're dying now before God. Uh, uh, you're in heaven or hell now before God. Jesus is being born now before God. Jesus is on the cross now before God. Jesus is at the Last Supper now before God. Jesus is resurrected now before God. Jesus is ascending now before God. Jesus is in heaven now. So everything before God is now. We live through time. Huh? <clears throat> and so what that means is we, when every we go to mass, we, eternity folds into time and time folds into eternity. And we are there at mass now. So we're at the last supper now. We're at the resurrection now. We're at the crucifixion now. So we are actually at the last supper when we go to mass now. Again, we're not just in this church. We're not just, we are at the Last Supper. We're at the crucifixion. We're at the resurrection. Now, again, I often talk about a great, uh, a great priest at EWTN. Uh, when he was newly ordained, I was down there when I would, uh, they were still inviting me to the family days. And I'm still on EWTN, just so you know, every Saturday night with Dr. Ray. 
anyway, but uh, I, when I had my own show, they would invite me to the uh, to the family days. And so one of the priests is uh, talking to me and he says, you know, Father, uh, my mom gets mad at me. <laughs> the way I say mass, he said. And I said, oh, join the crowd. Why does your mother get mad at you? And he says, she says, you never smile at mass. And he looked at her and says, did Mary smile at the crucifixion? And I says, no, but she certainly smiled at the resurrection. And at mass, you don't get a dead piece of the body of Jesus. You get the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I get the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So we got it to our faces. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, Jesus says us, tells us in John 6, you shall live forever. What a great promise. So we shouldn't be looking like I tell people, too many people look like they're constipated when they go to church, huh? Mm. Like who the heck wants to go and become a Catholic when the Catholics are there aren't even excited about it? When the Catholics who do go to mass don't want to be there anyway half the time, or they're only about me and Jesus and about nobody else. And they make, they make this... Uh, union of all of us, heaven and earth and all Christians forever. They make it a private thing. Mass is never a private thing. Even when I said mass alone today, I wasn't alone. All the angels and saints were with me. You understand that? It's never about me and Jesus. It will never about be only me and Jesus. It's always about us. Why? Because of the body of Christ. We're all part of that. We're always together. You know, when we receive the body of Christ, we become who we are, right? Jesus lives inside of us and we belong to one another. That's why often when, when uh, I have a funeral mass, I say, you know, today you don't only become one with Jesus when you receive the Eucharist. You become one with your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or your friend. You become one with them. It's a real communion. It's always about us when we go to Mass. Always. And so, but what happens when we go to Mass? Again, one of the best things we can do is go to John chapter 6. And this is for anybody. It's very hard to not read John chapter 6 and know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Huh? And he this is called the Bread of Life Discourse. And, uh, you know, you can read the whole chapter if you'd like. We don't have time for that. But it starts in verse 25 of John 6, the, the discourse on the bread of life. But we're going to go to verse 35 here. And it says, I myself am the bread of life. No one who comes to me shall ever be hungry. No one who believes in me shall ever thirst. But as I told you, though you have seen me, you still do not believe. Huh? So here he says, I am the bread of life. Now, again, this is part of the I am verses in John's gospel. The I am verses, like I am the vine, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. These all refer to the, the divinity of Jesus. The I am virtue uh, verses talk about when uh, Moses asked God, who are you? What is your name? I am who am. So when Jesus says this, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am God who feeds you for life. Huh? Fantastic. When we sit there and we let that enter into us, you know, so this is God's promise of us that I am, I myself am the living bread. It starts at 35. No one who comes to me shall ever hunger. No one who believes in me shall ever thirst. 
perfect. Then we go down to verse 51. He says, I myself am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. For the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Now, the word flesh here in John's gospel is from the Greek. Again, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word flesh in Greek is sarx, S-A-R-X. Now, I'm in farmland here in Indiana, middle of all kinds of farms and different things. And so if you go and you slaughter a cow or you slaughter a pig or whatever it is, and you cut off its leg. And again, I never even like to think about this because I'm an animal lover, but let's just go with the flow here for this, would we? So you cut off a thing and you throw it in front of everybody. That's sarks. And everybody knew that's what sarks is. It's real flesh. It's not a teaching. You know, like often people say, no, 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 this was his teaching. No, no, no. This was his flesh. And he wanted to make it clear. He said, used this word on purpose while well, he spoke in Aramaic, but later it was translated on purpose to this uh, sarks. So he says, I am the living bread. It's my flesh for the life of the world. And then in verse 53, it says, let me solemnly assure you, if you do not eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. Isn't that something? So what happens if you stop eating? You die. What happens if you stop eating the precious body and blood of Jesus? You die. And again, often people say, like when I did the thing on uh, purgatory and uh, uh, a Protestant brother or sister or whatever will come and see that. And then they'll always, like someone just did this this morning. That's why I remember they, like I, they, whatever when I did the thing on purgatory, just one line, this is unbiblical. Okay. And it's not, again, with, uh, if you go in there with uh, the Maccabees and that, but they don't have that. But that's all beside the point. You cannot in any way, shape or form say that this is unbiblical. It's very biblical. In fact, the whole church believed in the real presence of Jesus. huh? Um, and let's just go there, right? That's going to keep your finger there in uh, John 6. But let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Because again, what was the first thing that Jesus Christ did? Uh, well, let's not, we'll go back to that in uh, Luke's gospel. But here in the Acts of the Apostles, you know, the four marks of the church is one today, one holy Catholic and apostolic. Well, that's always been the marks of the church. But in the Acts of the Apostles, you can say these are the four marks of the church at, at, during the Acts. And here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, again, let's be biblical here. They devoted themselves, this is the Christian community. They devoted themselves, again, that is very, excuse me, interesting, not to the reading of the scriptures. Now, we'll see why that comes later. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' instruction, the teaching of the apostles. We'd call that tradition. The apostles' instruction, the communal life, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So what's the breaking of the bread? The mass, the early church, right from the very beginning, dedicated themselves to the breaking of the bread. And so, again, they called it the Eucharist. But what was one of the earliest things that we as Christians were called by the Romans? Cannibals. Why? Because 
they thought we were doing human sacrifice because we ate the flesh and drank the blood of our God. Again, this is all historical reality. And again, you could Paul could preach throughout all the world and and bring Christianity everywhere. But the one thing Christians were forbidden to do by the Romans was to say mass or to the Eucharist, to do the Eucharist. Why? Because for them, that was barbaric, that we were eating the flesh and drinking the blood of our God. So again, this wasn't symbolic. This wasn't something like a strong teaching. They were being persecuted for this. And so once again in history, Early in the early Christian history, the apostles, um, the uh, the community was having mass and they're caught and they're brought before the emperor. And he says, I told you, you can preach, you can sing, you can read your Bible, you can do everything you want. You just cannot celebrate what you call the Eucharist. And what did the church say? The church says there is no church without the Eucharist. There is no Eucharist without the church. Without the Eucharist, we cannot live. And they all were martyred. They gave their life. That's why every time you go to Mass and you say, Amen, Amen's more than I do believe. Amen's the Amen stake. And every time the priest or minister says the body of Christ, you say, Amen. You're saying, I would stake my life on what you just said. Huh? That's why the Eucharist, Mass, demands faith. It demands it. Are you willing to give up your life for Jesus? Every Mass, we participate in how he gave up his life for us. And so to live this Eucharistic life means we're giving up our lives for Jesus and for others. The way Jesus gave up his life to fulfill the Father's will and to live for other people, to save all of us. So it's, again, never about me and Jesus. The first Mass and all the Masses have always been about the community and about saving others, about bringing people to others. Huh? Very biblical. And again, let's say we're going to come back to John, but let's go to Luke's gospel here because this is interesting. If you go to Luke, which is um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we already stopped in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, but now I just want to go a few chapters later in Luke. And um, we want to see here the road to Emmaus. Huh? I'm not going to again read the, uh, say the whole thing, but this is in Luke chapter 24, and it begins on uh, verse 13. But it says two people are walking along, you know the story, and they're talking about everything that happened to Jesus. And then Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, walks with them, but they don't recognize that Jesus, it's Jesus. And then they says, what are you two, Jesus said, what are you two talking about along the way? And they says, about all the things that happen, and uh, don't you know what happened these days? What things, he says, all those things that happened to do with Jesus and Nazareth, a prophet, a prophet powerful in word and deed in the eyes of God and the people. They put him to death. We were hoping that he was the the Holy One, that he would set Israel free. Besides all this, today, the third day since these things happened, some women of our group have brought us some astonishing news. They were at the tomb before dawn and failed to find his body. Then we go down to chapter 20, verse 25. And then, you know, again, you would think that Jesus, because we all make him this big la-la, tiptoeing through the tomb type person, you'd think he'd say, no, 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 it's me, be at peace. He does that in John's gospel, but not in Luke's. What does he say here? Then he said to them, 
What little sense you have, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets had announced. So what's he saying? In today's vernacular, he says, are you stupid? Are you slow? I know that. So you always tell your kids, don't say that. And this is what Jesus Christ is saying. Did you not, did not the Messiah after undergo all this to enter into his glory? Now get this. This is what I'm reading this for. The very first thing that Jesus Christ does in Luke's gospel here with the Emmaus is he says mass. How? Let's talk about it. He says, so then verse 27, beginning then with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them every passage of scripture which referred to him. What is this? It's the liturgy, uh, the liturgy of the word. And then we get very soon to the liturgy of the Eucharist. So what is the liturgy of the word? That's when we open up the Bible and we have the readings from the Bible and then the priest or the deacon explains it. So that's what's happening here. He's reading the scripture and then he explains every passage and how it explained to them, to him. Well, now they were going near the village by which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. So verse 29, they say to him, stay with us. Now get this, people. Get this. Know this. Believe this. It's not enough to just hear a good scripture and a good homily. You know, people leave the Catholic Church all the time, and they're saying, why? Because we're not being fed. Are you kidding me? You're meaning you're not being entertained. So you might go to another place where they have great uh, preaching, great reading of the word, and a great praise and worship. Fantastic. But Jesus doesn't stay with you. Look at this. This is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus preaching. It's Jesus reading the word. But it's not enough. Again, we got to know this. Because what does he do? They say, stay with us. So how does Jesus stay with them? Verse 30, when he had seated himself with them to eat, he took bread, pronounced the blessing, then broke it and began to distribute it to them. What is this? The liturgy of the Eucharist. Huh? He takes bread, he breaks it, and he just, that is the breaking of the bread. That is the Eucharist. That's what we got to focus on. This is the reality of what God is doing for us. God that the universe cannot contain is humbling himself. And the way he stays with us is in the Eucharist. And again, in case you're wondering, with that, their eyes were open and they recognized him. Whereupon he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, when not our hearts burning inside as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures? They got up immediately. And then verse 34, the Lord has been risen, it is true. He appeared to Simon, verse 35. Then they recounted what had happened on the road and how he they had come to know him, not in the preaching, as he says how great it was, but in the breaking of the bread. So what does this mean? So it's like Jesus looking at us and saying, you want me to stay with you? Break the bread. That's how I stay with you. And doesn't it interesting, it doesn't, isn't this interesting? As soon as they recognize him, he banished from their sight. Why? To teach them, to teach us. The way Christ stays with us now is invisibly in the sacrament. That's why he appears only as bread and wine, but it's truly Jesus. It doesn't remind us of Jesus. 
the bread and wine actually becomes the bread, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Now, some people say, how is that possible? Well, if you looked at Jesus, the man, some people only saw a man. Some people saw God. My Lord and my God, St. Thomas would cry out. Some people, when they go to church, they only see a white piece of bread. Some people see the God the universe cannot contain. It takes faith. So if you don't have that faith, you've got to beg God for that faith. And he'll give it to you. But you got to know this reality. huh? And again, some people... Uh, don't get it. So well, uh, when we sit there and we get this here, we go on and it says, um, I want you to go back to the, uh, John's gospel or go the next chapter. I'm sorry, John's gospel. I'm sorry. I've been, I've been tired. I've been talking two hours every night, two more hours tonight, and I am exhausted. Anyway, but here in John 6, I want you to go to after Jesus talks all about this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. And I am the living bread and whoever eats my flesh will live forever. And uh, here at verse 54, he says, he who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is life eternal. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 55 says, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And he says, the man who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So again, and this word feeds is gnaw. So it's very basic stuff. huh? Now, after listening to all this, the disciples, some disciples, we're not talking about the unbelieving Jews. We're talking about those who followed in the company of Jesus, his disciples. Let's go to John chapter six, verse 66. The only time you'll see 666 in the Bible. 666, besides where this is verse 6, chapter 6, verse 66, 666, as we see in Revelation, 666, 666 is what? The sign of the Antichrist. So anyway, here we go. Now, John chapter 6, verse 66. From this time on, many of his disciples broke away from him and would not remain in his company any longer. So here, they said, it's too hard to believe. How can this man give us his flesh and blood? What kind of nut is this Jesus? And his disciples left him. Not all of them, of course, because then in verse 67, Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, do you want to leave me too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? So this is the teaching, huh? And we're still not done. I want to get to one other place before I leave you again about the Eucharist. So we're going to go here to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is very important for today because people can go to communion and who cannot go to communion. <laughs> and we're not talking a, uh, a reward for doing good. That's something we're talking about here in the Eucharist. But again, remember St. Paul never heard Jesus give a homily, never saw him perform a miracle, but he wrote most of the New Testament because he had a resurrected experience of Jesus, the same experience you can, I can have of Jesus Christ, a resurrected experience. Huh? And so in verse 23 of 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, uh, Jesus says, I received from the Lord what I handed on to you. So this resurrected experience of Jesus, Jesus tells him, 
uh, about the mass and about how to do this. So again, right from Jesus, right in the very beginning, all the churches, the, the churches old as us is the uh, the Eastern, uh, the Orthodox Church, not just Eastern, Orthodox Church, and they believe in the Eucharist. They believe in the real presence. Martin Luther believed in the real presence. He, we believe in transubstantiation, meaning that the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and says that way. Lutherans believe in consubstantiation. Luther started this at the, the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus and stays that way only as long as the congregation is present. Huh? And then, of course, Episcopalians believe in the real presence. It wasn't until after that they stopped believing in the real presence because to bring the real presence of Jesus, you need a priest ordained. And every priest through his bishop it used to be, I mean, they still have studies in that. Contran you can trace your ordination all the way back to one of the apostles, unbroken tradition. So you need a validly ordained priest to bring forth the Eucharist. So when they no longer had validly ordained priests, they stop saying the Mass. And then the theology developed how Christ is only there uh, spiritually. You know, it's only a symbol a uh, person start fighting with me at the mall like the week of Christmas saying, Father, it's just a symbol. Don't you get it? You got to stop believing in this stuff. And I'm thinking, and I said to her, I says, I promise you, Jesus is present. I would die for Christ in the Eucharist. Absolutely, without a, without a hesitation. Because if Jesus isn't present in the Eucharist, then Jesus Christ is a liar. Isn't it amazing how many people sit there and they're fundamentalists and they believe the world was created in seven days seven 24-hour days, period. But when Jesus, the God of the universe, explicitly says, this is my body, they refuse to believe it. <sighs> we pick and choose. Anyway, so here's what Paul says. Namely, I received from the Lord that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for me, which is for you. Do it and remember, do this in remembrance of me. At the same time, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 20. Now, first of all, get this. It isn't just a ritual. Every time we go to mass, it's just going to, oh, here we go. And we got to stop and say, Jesus, I remember you. It's personal. Remember me, he cries out. Can you hear that longing in him? Remember me. This isn't just about you. Remember me. And so every time we go to Mass in our hearts, we have to say, Jesus, I remember you. I'll never forget you. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. Verse 26, every time then you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Verse 27, this means whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily sins against the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, a man should examine himself first, only then should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, he who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks a judgment on himself. And then verse 30, that is why many among you are sick and infirm and why so many of you are dying. So if you receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus without recognizing the body or not in a state of grace, the bread of life can become the bread of death. Paul says that's why some of you are sick and some of you are dying. If it was just a symbol, and again, earlier in uh, chapter 10, it says uh, you sin against, or 11, you sin against the body blood of God when you re, uh, receive unworthily. You receive, you sin against the body of Jesus. So 
we got to, first of all, recognize what a great thing it is to receive Christ. In Matthew's gospel, when they talk on Jesus, the Lord's prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. So if you have the ability, you should go to mass and receive Jesus every day. And then you got to make sure that when you receive Jesus, that you're in the state of believing him, that you believe it's God, and that you have repented of all sin in your heart and in your life. And then you take Jesus into yourself and you become the tabernacle of God. We have such a great gift to be with Jesus. And now throughout the world, we have the monstrance, we have perpetual adoration. To spend time with Jesus every day is the greatest gift. He wants to be with you. Do you want to be with him? Do you want him to stay with you? Then come to Mass. And he will stay with you forever. You got it? You get it? Are you going to do it? Adrianoah's is love today and forever. Amen. My favorite thing to talk about is Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. I didn't get as excited last uh, as I did last uh, Wednesday because I or last Thursday because I think I scared some of you with them talking about the Holy Spirit. But the reality is the greatest thing we have is the gift of Jesus in the Eucharist here. And uh, I often talk about again the, my whole parish when we start perpetual adoration. And uh, they asked me why. And I said, the holiness of my people and to close the abortion clinic. And we start praying on Ash Wednesday, at our anniversary coming up, of course, this when next this coming Wednesday. And then the abortion clinic closed that June or July. The Eucharist is God. There's more powerful than a nuclear bomb. If we truly believe that he is God. So come and spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist. Okay, so let's go and let us start looking at some questions here. Hi. Hi, Danielle. Hello. Hi. Hi, Julia. Ruth here. Janet, yes. Can we hear you? Can hear me good. Hello, Father. I hear you. Good evening, Father and all. Hi, Harry. Um. Thank you, Bible calendar and no Bible, no breakfast. Good for the calendar. You can also just go online. And again, if you haven't come and done this yet, pick up your phone right now and go to your apps right now and go right now to our Hope TV. Our, our Hope TV. I guess you can't see it real good. But anyway, and if you go to our Hope TV, Every single talk I've ever given, videos, everything is all on here. The masses, the daily masses, you can watch uh, this podcast on our Hope TV. Everything is right here. So download it. It's all free. And then you can keep up with us and you can, you know, just put in your depression. We'll give you all the talks I've ever done on depression. So again, we just paid $60,000 for it. So use it. It's for you and to, for you to use. Okay. Priscilla, good evening, Father Larry. My question is this. 
What does it mean in the Bible when God says you will be cut off from your people? Is it death or they or they leave the camp or does it mean something else? Well, in the Old Testament, it did mean it, it did mean that you were cut off from the people Israel. And for them, it was like a death because the only way to enter into the kingdom for them was by being a member of the uh, Jewish people and being a faithful member. Again, uh, they didn't think much in the Old Testament about individual salvation. It was all, always communal salvation. You know, you had to be a part of the people. And again, we believe the same type thing because you have to be part of Christ. The only way to go into heaven is by being part of Christ. You know, uh, we're all saved through Jesus. If, if the Muslims saved, they're saved through Jesus. If a Buddhist saved, saved through Jesus. Everyone is saved through Jesus. There's no way to enter the kingdom except being part of the body of Christ. Please pray for my sister. Okay. Terry, I used to listen to your morning homily on Podbean, but it's not there. If there is somewhere else, can I hear the daily rings and homily? You can always go to uh, Pod. It's a course on Podbean. I missed on Friday. I'm on uh, Monday because I was my first day here or Tuesday. I missed. Um, and sometimes when I'm on the road, it uh, it messes up my schedule. So I didn't get uh, to do that. But it's always, if you don't find it on Podbean, you usually can find it. If, if I'm at home, it's on YouTube. Um, but if I'm on the road, like every day, like today, the only place to find it is on Podbean. And you still can find it on Podbean. <laughs> so, I, again, I uploaded it early this morning, so it should be there. Um, thank you for praying for tonight and for the Eucharist Mass. Is it a sacrifice or is it a meal or is it both? Of course, it's both. It's not either or, it's both and. <coughs> so some people say, it's a sacrifice. True. Some people say, it's a meal. True. It was the Passover meal. But again, if you put too much emphasis on either side, you go into heresy. So it's both. You know, a sacrifice without love is uh, worth nothing, according to 1 Corinthians 13. So it's the, it's the love in that not only this sacrifice, but it's God then feeding us a meal with his own precious body and blood. It's part of the Passover. Like the Old Testament had the Passover meal. We have the Eucharistic meal. And again, people like to argue on both sides, you know. And I just say, just stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It's both. You know, and as long as you sit there, and again, this is the teaching of the church. But everybody, um, people like their own feelings and they'll find people to their own echo chamber to agree that'll teach them what they say this is what i believe and i this saint said this and this saint said this and isn't that great do you feel better you're right everybody else is wrong uh, i can give you just as much the other side and then you get protestants who don't believe any of this stuff we believe and so again everybody believes they're right and everybody else is wrong but it's not either or it's both harry okay give us this living bread you got it I pray daily and receive the sacraments, but I don't feel I know Christ and have a true relationship with him. What are some ways I can learn to know Christ and cultivate a relationship with him? The biggest thing is you got to listen when you pray. And again, if you're not a good listener, that's why I have the thing, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. Now, this morning when I went, so I kept this next to my bed here at the rectory at Christ the King. And so this morning when I, I prayed the Holy Spirit and I asked the Holy Spirit to speak to me, and then I open it up and I read until God hits me on a two by four. So this morning he hit me with 
Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God leading everyone who believes in it to salvation. The first, the Jew, then the Greek. So for me, it was like, okay, so now I've been talking to God all day about this, about what's his, what, what did he want to say to me this morning when he talked about this? And so for me to get ready for tonight, and I, by God's grace, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I proclaim it. And the only thing that I want, the only reason I come to do missions, which tire me out, is to see people come to know Jesus. And so to spend time with the scripture every day. Remember the teaching of the churches who made me, God made me. Why did God make me? God made me to know him, to love him and serve him. How do I get to know him? Well, again, St. Jerome says ignorance of the Bible is ignorance of Christ. So if you don't know the Bible, you can't know Jesus. And then if you go to Psalm 4, uh, chapter 46, verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. So the best way is for you to spend time with Jesus in his word. And you don't just read it from cover to cover. You'll probably die in Leviticus. You ask God to reveal himself to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, because only the Holy Spirit can reveal to you the true word of God. And then you keep praying with the word, and you will get to know him. You'll get to know his voice. And that's the most important thing. Again, it's very, uh, very honest you said that. Many people never, they do all the sacraments, go through all the things in their heart of they know they don't know God, but they're not willing to do anything to change that. You can go to daily mass and be an atheist. But if you spend time in surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit and encounter the living in his word, you will get to know him. But you're going to have to shut up and listen. It's just that simple. He said gently, kindly, and compassionately. Hope that helps, sunshine. Okay, the Animac, if I'm in adoration when I have to leave, no one else is there, can I still leave? It keeps me from going. If the Blessed Sacrament is out in the monsters, you should never let him alone. All my people know that they should never, ever leave the monstrance exposed alone. Um, now, if it was a true emergency, you could cover the monstrance with a, uh, a pall or something there. But usually you should never, if anybody left the Blessed Sacrament alone, they know it would be pretty bad. I'd come after them. So everybody knows they they got to stay, they got to find somebody, or if it's in the day to call me or cover the monstrance. Okay. Okay. Chris, hi, Father Larry. Like you, I support Pope Francis. I hope so. The one thing I trouble responding to is the pack of mine. Yeah. Go to uh, 1 Peter, uh, it just drives me crazy, because these people that are all nuts that go against the Father, Holy Father. But if you go, if you're on Facebook, one of the things I follow, and he did a great thing on the Pacamama, whatever the stupidity of these people are, I see I get very angry. You did that on purpose, Chris, just to get me angry, to tell your wife, did you get angry yet? No, you just did, so you pushed my button. So where... Where Peter is group. This is a fantastic thing on Facebook because it supports the Holy Father. And it gives you so that you can sit there and go right on there. And they they talk about the Pacamama on here. It's fantastic. And they go through, let's deal with it point by point. And they show video of it. And they show how this is of God, how it's not like these nuts. And the person, I can't even, I'm not even going to go there. But the person who stole it and all that stuff, he's a radical um 
radical, radical, radical Catholic who paid for it. And the only reason he exists is to make money on, uh, on media and still division. I won't even say his name. But again, that was all from the very beginning. He hates the Pope and he tries to constantly uh, trip him up, just like the Pharisees tried to do with Jesus. <coughs> they try to trip him up, but you go there and you're going to find it. Uh, come back. I will come back to Pittsburgh if they invite me and Greensburg. I'm traveling with you to Israel in May. Good job. Can we recommend any book to read about the sites we'll be visiting? I am stoked to walk with Jesus. Good job, Tony. And again, we still have about 10 spaces left on the tour. We have 70 people coming with us right now. So again, it's going to be fantastic. May 10th, it's 10 or 11 days. But all you have to do is put into Google um, Father Larry Richards and... Um, you just put Father Larry Richards and then you space and then you put Holy Land and then you hit go and you're going to get select international tours, pilgrimage to the Holy Land with Father Larry Richards and John Edwards and the price including airfare is $46.95. It's 12 days. May 10th to May 21st. Price without airfare is $36.95. And so it goes and it tells you all the different things about the trip. It's fantastic. Uh, if you haven't been to the Holy Land, you need to go there at least once in your life. And uh, we'll have a fine, fine time. So, but what to read? You know, they told me to read a book when I before I got there, but I didn't enjoy the book. I would just sit there and... Uh, go to where uh, the, the thing where we're all going to go and go to Google and uh, look up each place. And you can find up so much stuff about what's going on at the different places we'll see and when it was built and what happened there and how we know it's authentic. So that's what that's what I do. That's what I've done and I encourage you to do. My nephew and his wife, Anne, asked, and his wife did not get married in the Catholic Church. My nephew received the sacraments growing up, but his wife did not. They're having a baby and want the baby baptized. Of course, the baby can be baptized. We don't hold uh, against a child, you know, and so, yes, the baby can be baptized. There's so much hate in the world because they don't know Jesus exactly. Ah, good job. Why am I losing stuff? Mm. Glory be to our mighty God, St. Padre Pio. Pray for us. You got it. Breaking of the bread, Knights of Columbus. At this time of the year, the angel of the sun through the angle of the sun through the windows makes the host glow golden at elevation. Very good, Harry. Jolie, uh, pray. Okay. Father, when are you receiving reviving praise and worship? On first Thursday's month, we did it last week. I mean, last, uh, the beginning of this month, we restarted again. They didn't, um, uh, put it over the internet, though, because, again, there wasn't that many people there. I need servers. I need all this stuff. People always say, Father, can we do this? But they're not willing to help. So I need servers and I need people to live stream this again so we can reach many people. Again, it's not just about what me and Jesus. And I know it's a lot of work for people. It's a lot of work for me, too. But again, if we're doing this as a community and we want to bring people to Jesus, then we need to be doing this type of stuff. But we already did it. And hopefully we'll keep doing it always the first Thursdays of the month. 
What do you think of the Bible in a year as a way of reading the whole Bible? Some of the early Old Testament readings about God's law are hard to understand. Father Mike Smith is a fantastic guy. Fantastic. And um, when he did Bible in a year where you can watch it, he goes through all that. But again, no, there are other books in that and things you can do it. But it's okay If you want to read the whole Bible, go for it. But again, you want to make sure you have an encounter with Jesus when you're reading the Bible, not just to fill your head, but an encounter in your heart. Okay. Uh, Mary's Rodriguez, Father, which Bible translation do you use? Which Bible? It's I use the, uh, you can't buy this anymore, but it's the, uh, the New American Bible for Catholics. But this one was done in 1971, I believe. And I always love this because I love this translation. I go back to it again and again and again. All my books use this translation. But um, 1971, yeah, it's a Catholic Bible, New American Bible. And so they have the New American Bible for Catholics. You always have to find one that says for Catholics because we have seven more books in the Old Testament than the Protestants do. So always doesn't matter as long as the Bible says for Catholics. Okay, why did God test Job, who God knew was a righteous man, just because Satan suggested Job would uh, turn on God if times got hard? The book of Job is a story to talk about, uh, try to explain evil. Now, we can believe that it actually happened, or we can believe it's a story. Like if I tell a story about trying to teach people what who God is and what uh, heaven and hell is and all that stuff, I can make up stories. So it's true, but it might not have historically happened. Um, I've always struggled with uh, that. And, you know, God says, okay, he's in your power. I'd say, what? Really? You do that to me, God? You'd give me into Satan's power? So again, um, but again, it could have happened. So I'm not saying oh, it didn't happen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's true. Again, one of the best things to do is if you go and you look it up, there's all kinds of stuff about uh, the book of uh, Job. Yes, but it really shows how God always triumphs over evil. And the problem with evil, it try to, tries to answer that question. I humble myself and I recite spiritual communion online mass. Very good. Make sure you even go deeper than humbling yourself. You've got to let Christ come in and ask Christ into your heart. Marianne. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Father. Something I've been pondering. Who wrote the book of Genesis? How can the creation of the world even be documented? Again, traditionally, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, but uh, um, scripture scholars talk about, you know, uh, like the, in Genesis, there's two stories of creation. So uh, there's two different histories that go through, or as many as three different authors of the book of Genesis. And again, um, again, it's trying to tell a story about God created and how God created we as Catholics do not have to believe, do not have to believe in an actual seven 24 hour day because the first day wasn't even slight and dark yet. Right. So, but it means that God created everything and sin. God uh, gave them, told them what to do and they disobeyed God. Can there be a, a seven day creation? Yes, of course there can. God can do anything. Of course he can do it in seven days, but uh, God could also create the world through, um, you know, all the history of the Big Bang Theory was a theory that came from a Catholic priest. You know, science does not go against religion and religion shouldn't go against science. Everything that is true will always point to God. 
So it should always come together because God is the creator of all things. So all science will never contradict scripture as um, theology won't contradict science and science won't contradict theology if it's true. Huh? Now they can go beyond science, like when miracles and that happen, which isn't a contradiction. It's a fulfillment. It even goes, explodes it even more. It's uh, how God can do such great things. So, but again, uh, yes, we don't have to believe in that. Okay. Afternoon, all. One of the men who helped me start my walk with Jesus told me that for him, Romans 1.16 was the verse that converted him. He had it made into a bumper sticker. Very good. This is Mo from Father Larry's office. You can find the link to the homilies on the website, www.thereasonforourhope.org. So there you go. So if it's not on the Podbean, you go, you just go to our website, thereasonforourhope.org, and you'll get the homily for the day. Thank you, Mo. It says Father Larry Richards, but it's Mo, my, my director. And uh, very good, Mo. Thank you. Thank you, Father Larry. Just downloaded our Hope Tea from TV. Very good. Merry blessings. Living in UK, I prefer the Catholic Church over Anglicanism. I look at RCIE courses and 10 Mass, but can only receive a blessing. When will I, can I, when will I be ready to decide to commit to Catholicism? I don't know. Do it now. I was in London this past August. It was fantastic. And I was in um, um, St. Paul Cathedral. Was that the Catholic one there? It was fantastic. And there were some people that knew me. It was, it was great meeting all these people. But uh, do it. You know, only because uh, like even now what the Episcopalian church is doing in England or Anglican churches are talking about is God is spirit, which he is. But to get rid of the pronouns that Jesus Christ himself return, when Jesus says that God is father, you can't change that. That is very strong revelation. God is more than father. Yes, but God is father. And when Jesus said, this is how you are to pray, that's what he means. So when people even bring that up, again, you're trying to ponder to uh, focus too easy on uh, what people are doing. And again, I don't expect anything less because Henry VIII, who did it, wanted to do his way. And so when Rome wouldn't give him another a, uh, a nomin, he says, OK, kill, start killing all the bishops and priests that are Catholic, says, I am the head of the church and we're going to do it my way. So if it's built that way from the very beginning and founded on that type reality, how can you expect anything less except we want to do it the way we want to do it? Sorry. And that's a judgment, just in case you were wondering. But I, just an observation. Hopefully it's not a judgment because people are very good in that. But the reality is we need to fall. We need to always come back to revelation, not what we want to make people happy. God always meets us where we are, but it doesn't change the reality of who he is. Very good. Hope you don't have a cold. No, I'm just tired. Okay. So very good. All these things that are here and we got to go. I, again, tonight we go here at 6.30 to 8.30 and then I drive to uh, Cornwall or somewhere down out Corden and get a hotel and then uh, God willing, uh, on my way here was fantastic. Everything was flight was fantastic. We're getting a lot of rain in that. So hopefully everything will be safe and smooth. That's what I always pray to God. Safe and smooth, safe and smooth, safe and smooth. So you can pray that too, if you would, for me. Safe and smooth tomorrow. Um, and pray for my stepfather and pray for my people. It'll be good to get home. I miss my dog, Joe. 
even though he doesn't miss me because he gets to play with his sister and he gets to hang out with Diane who he stays in her office every time, all the time anyway. So I always say that uh, it's Diane's dog and I watch him every once in a while. She's my director of ministries because she's very nice to him and I'm kind of strong. So she know he knows that he can get anything from her. And I'll sit there and I have to discipline him like everything else. But anyway, so remember that I love you, that I'm praying for you when I have my masses here, privately here. I'm bringing, remembering you at all those masses when I'm saying my rosary, when I do my divine chaplet, when I do my holy hour every day, I remember you. And I just ask you to remember me. And God willing, we will see you again back from my office next Thursday. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He was Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.